Thanks for tuning in to the teaching ministry of Mike Hilson, Senior Pastor of New Life Wesleyan Church of La Plata, Maryland. It's a church that plants churches and of Where You Are Church, an online church helping people reconnect with God through practical content and a growing community. Hey, we're glad that you're taking time to listen to this week's message. We hope this teaching helps you love God and love people better every single day. And if you enjoy what you hear today, consider sharing it with someone else. Now, enjoy today's teaching. I want to get into the series, Don't Waste Your Life. We've been going through the life of Peter and journeying through um, some of the highs and lows and learning a ton from his life because Peter is easy to relate to. I don't know about you, but every time I read Peter, I see myself, I see people that I know, and I gain encouragement from it. And honestly, I think uh, looking at him and, and seeing what he's done and what um, happened back then, it's easy to judge. It's easy to look with 2,000 years of experience and say, man, I could have done that better, but I feel like you probably couldn't have. So we're going to learn some lessons. And one of the lessons that we're going to learn today is don't waste your redemption. And um, in this whole series, we're really looking at the idea of like not wasting our life because it's kind of a core fear in our culture. I mean, think about it. You're looking back at your life. You're, I don't know how old you are, but you're looking back and you're asking yourself the question, has everything that I've done been worth it? You know, has it, does it, has it really mattered? Has it made an impact? What's the legacy that I'm leaving? And the reason why we chose Peter for this is because he did leave an amazing legacy and he didn't do it perfectly along the way. And we can relate to that. But when you look at the end of his life, you can see that it mattered. You can see that he made a significant impact on the earth to the point where not only is he in the center of the biggest story of all time, but he's also a dude who wrote a couple books in the Bible um, that has edified the church for thousands of years. So we're going to take a look at his life. And today we're going to be in John chapter 21. This is the epilogue of John's gospel. This is the last, very last book or chapter, I should say, in the book. And we see something really significant and important happen. Um, and that's why we called it, Don't Waste Your Redemption. This is the redemption moment. But before we jump in and open the Word of God, let's pray together and then dive in. Jesus, we thank you so much that you've given us so many examples throughout the Word, especially um, Peter today. We want to really gather a lot from his life. We want to grow. We want to be um, changed from the inside out. And we want our lives to matter. We want not just matter to you, but to make an impact everywhere and with everything that we touch. So help us right now learn, because I know that this is going to speak to somebody. I know that this is going to impact somebody. I know that you want to communicate something powerful and deep to more than one person today. So please uh, illuminate your word and help us apply it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, so we're going to look at John chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 15. Um, and it says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So I want to stop right there and I want to give a little bit of context for what's going on because why are they eating what's going on? So this is what's referred to as like the third resurrection experience that the disciples have with Jesus that's recorded in the New Testament. And um, Jesus just shows up on the beach while a bunch of the disciples are fishing. 
Um, if you read back, you'll see that there's a cool encounter that goes on where Jesus sees them fishing. He helps them catch a bunch of fish. And then he starts a charcoal fire, which is interesting. A little note about the charcoal fire. It's the first time it's ever mentioned in the New Testament. It's because Jesus knows how to barbecue, y'all. So he gets, the, he gets the charcoal going and he cooks fish. So our resurrected Lord is still serving, still serving his people, always serving. And the disciples are gathered around and they start to have um, a discussion. And really it's a conversation that Jesus wants to have with Peter. Now, it's significant because the last time that Peter and Jesus hung out, things didn't go so well. Uh, Jesus gets um, kind of attacked in the garden, and, and Peter wants to defend him, and he cuts off the ear of that dude Malchus with a sword, and Jesus heals it immediately, kind of rebukes Peter, and that happens. And then after that, um, Peter denies Jesus three times, which Jesus had prophesied about. Jesus told him to his face before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that had just, that had happened. So Peter has to watch Jesus get crucified. And, and then here's the resurrection account. Can you imagine the level of shame that Peter must have been carrying? Like that's a pretty big screw up. And, and it's, it's a huge amount of weight and grief to have to carry, knowing that that person's now in the grave and that you betrayed them. But now to see them alive again? Can you imagine like there's a sense of relief like, oh man, I can make this right. But then there's a sense of dread about that conversation because you know how shame works. Of course you do because you're like me. All of us have shame. All of us deal with things uh, that, that make, us, make it hard for us to have the conversations, make it hard for us to confront that are, that are so painful and so deep and embarrassing because we've acted maybe hypocritical or we've lied or we've disappointed that we can't bring ourselves to face the person that we've wronged. I imagine that as much as I see myself and Peter, that he probably felt that way. And yet here he is. He sees Jesus. Jesus is feeding him. He's taking care of him. He's serving him yet again. They're around the charcoal fire and Jesus turns to Peter and he wants to have a conversation. He asks him a question. But before we get to that question again, I want to ask you a question. Is there, have you ever messed up big? Just think about it. Have you ever wronged somebody, messed up in a huge way, maybe betrayed them to the point where there's, there's some sort of strife and enmity between you and them and you don't know how to make it right? Like this, this I think, gives us hope for the many of us who have lost our connection over the years with the Lord. So if we're just talking about a relationship with him and you, or if we're talking about a relationship interpersonally with somebody that you've wronged, somebody that you've messed up towards, I think this story has something for us to learn. Because Jesus obviously wants to reinstate Peter. He wants to see reconciliation. He wants to see Peter recommit his life, his faith, his mission to Jesus. And if we can learn that, then I think no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how dark things have gotten, no matter how far away you feel from God, that you could never, ever go back, that there's hope for you because there was hope for Peter. So let's revisit the question in chapter 21, verse 15, where it says this. He looks at Simon Peter after they've done uh, eating the amazing barbecue fish and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these. Now, this is, I imagine, 
tongue in cheek. He's hanging out with all of these other disciples and their apostles, really. And uh, he asked this question, like, you think you love me more than John? You know, the beloved, the one who's writing this book in the first place, you know, he's, he's got to be gesturing or maybe winking a little bit, trying to break the ice is the way I see it. I'm reading in a little bit. Forgive my opinion, but you imagine it too. So there he is sitting and, and he's just, I imagine heartstruck. His heart probably just skipped three, four beats. He's just, his, his nervousness is kicking in. He doesn't know how to reply. But I want to take our first point from right here. Because I believe that Jesus set that, set this charcoal fire out in this barbecue because he intended to revisit the last time that Peter and, and him had an interaction. And that was around the fire, the charcoal fire, that Peter denied the Lord. In fact, if you go back to John 18, verse 18, that was the last time and the only two times in all of the New Testament that those words are mentioned. I think that's significant because I think Jesus is intentional like that. Je in other words, put it be, let me put it in your words. Jesus wants to meet you in the last place that you failed. He wants to go back to that spot and he wants, he doesn't want to move past it. He doesn't, he wants to invite you back to that place and he wants to serve you there so that he can begin the process of restoration so that the reconnection can happen, the recommitment, whatever reword you want to put in. He wants to do that right then and there. And that's what he's doing with Peter. And he's asking him the question, basically this, are you all in? That's my first point today is that you've got to be all in. I mean, like, 100% everything you've got, all in. There can't be anything left over. And I think it's interesting because Peter, you know, obviously he's sorry. Obviously he's repentant. Obviously he's heartbroken. But Jesus doesn't ask him, Peter, how sorry are you? He doesn't say, Peter, how much faith do you have? He's not like, Peter, have you repented and said a prayer? No, he cuts right to the chase and he says, Peter, do you love me? You know, do you love me more than these? He's asking him a question that's so much bigger than just uh, being sorry or having faith or repentance. Those things are probably all going on. Those things are all super important. But Jesus is getting right to the heart of what I think is critical for all Christians, especially you watching right now. We got to love the Lord first and foremost. That love is, is, it supersedes everything else. It's the most important thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have love for him. On top of it all, I love um, Jonathan Edwards was a, was a 17th century preacher and revivalist and just a genius. And he uh, wrote this whole sermon about this exact point. He's, he says that love is the mark of salvation of the Christian and the believer which was super controversial because, you know, we believe that we're saved by faith and that's true. But he said that love is the actual mark. And he goes off of James chapter two, verse 19, where it says that, yeah, the demons, they believe too, and yet shudder or tremble, another translation says. In other words, the demons, they believe. In fact, they don't only believe, they know, they see with their own eyes. They see God himself. There's absolute proof of who God is. They know how powerful he is. They know that he saves and yet they have no salvation. Why? Because they will not love him. That's the whole point of the sermon. Now, argue that as you may. 
I think it stands and it's strong because it hits on the point that love is the transforming factor. And that when you're all in on something, you love that thing. And when you love that thing, you're all in for it. Think about all the people that you really love, that you could say that you love more than anything else in your life. If you love them, then you're all in for them. Like, I don't have, there's nothing I can do to pry your hands off of that or to get in between you. You're going to move heaven and earth for that person. All the moms on the other side of the screen are going, amen. Yes, absolutely. I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids. All the dads are like, man, I would tear up some people if they got in between me and my family, right? And that's just so true because we love. And when we love, we're all in, right? It's like, we're all in. Here it is. Everything I've got. And you're like, well, wait a minute, Dave, there's, there's a lot more in here. You're right. If I'm really all in, I got to just have it all in, right? All of everything I've got has to be for him. Even though I might love a lot of the stuff that's in here and that this stuff might be important to me, ultimately, I, love, I have to love him first and foremost, that he has to be preeminent in my life, that I have to see him for who he is, that I got to see him as pulchritudinous, beautiful above all measure, that he is the one who is above all things. I put him first and I love him most. And that's why the first question out of Jesus's mouth to Peter after all Peter had done and how significantly Peter had failed was, do you love me more than all of these? We got to love. We have to love more than anything else. But I want to read on because we got a couple other things that are going to help us not waste our redemption. Not only do we have to be all in, but keep reading on. Jesus says, or Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. So the response is feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you know that, or do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So if, if in the love um, question, right, for Peter, um, is like this, this presupposed sorry and faith and repentance. Like if you love, those things are present, right? When Jesus says, feed my sheep, it's like he's saying, I forgive you. Like it's built in. They didn't have to, they didn't have to look at each other and be like, man, I'm so sorry. And, oh, I forgive you. It was implicit in what's being communicated here. Jesus knows all things. He knows the heart of man. But I will say, that Jesus cares about what we do more than just what we say. So my second point right now is that if Jesus has a love language, it's words, it's not words of affirmation, it's acts of service, all right? And you're like, okay, I'm being tongue in cheek. I, that's fair. Jesus doesn't, Jesus's language is love. He doesn't have a love language, all right? But if he did, if I were to rank what they would be, I would say that Jesus cares more about acts of service. He doesn't want empty acts, of course. The heart has to be connected. But man, more times than not, we see him criticize people and call them out for being hypocritical with their words, right? They, they, speak, what are they, they speak good things about me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus said, right? What we do reveals what we care about the most. Would you agree with that? I think most people agree with that, right? If, if, if you got two kids 
and one kid is always, oh, mom, I love you, but then never does anything you ask. But then you got the other kid who never says they love you, but everything you ask they do. Which kid do you think loves you more? Probably the one that actually does the stuff that you ask them to do. I'm not talking about my household. They equally don't do what I ask them to do. But if, if you love somebody, you're going to act accordingly. You're not going to just say things, right? It's going to be an overflow and action is going to be a huge part of that, not just words of affirmation. And I think that a lot of people think, oh, it's the thought that counts. And, you know, if you really love somebody, you know, you're, you're going to express it in creative ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in Jesus's case, it's not just what's in the inside that matters. It's not um, what we're thinking or feeling. It's what we do that defines us. That sounded like a Batman movie, but it's true. It's what we do that defines us. And that's what Jesus is getting after. He wants Peter to be all in, but he also wants Peter to feed the sheep. So I'm going to have some sheep come in here. Here you go. He wants you to take everything that you have and to make it about feeding the sheep, right? If all that you have is really for him and you care about him preeminently, then all that you have, switching metaphors, is for him. And he wants you to apply it and use it for his people because if you care about him, then you'll care about what he cares about. You ever heard that phrase that, God, break my heart for what breaks yours? Well, that's something that somebody who loves somebody would say. And, and if you've ever been married and, or in a close personal relationship, how hard, or let me say it this way, how easy is it for them to influence you about what bothers them? You know, if they really care about something and something's bothering them, suddenly that thing's now bothering you. How many husbands are like raising their hand on the other side, put it in the chat, that's me, right? I, so many times, something that my wife was sharing with me, that was completely her thing, but she started sharing about it. I cared about Jesus wants us to be the same way with what he cares about. And you know what he cares about? He cares about his sheep, his lambs. He cares about you. He cares about the people that are out there that don't know him. And if I'm just, if I'm really all in, then I got to take all that I have and I got to go ahead and take care of his sheep. I got to do what he wants me to do. I got to put action behind my words. I can't just be a Christian in name or an identity, or because I go to church. I have to do it Monday through Friday, or excuse me, Monday through Friday. Monday through Saturday, there's more days in the week. All the time, not just on Sunday. It has to be everything that I am, and all, I have to be all in, and I gotta give these away. So, so far, to not waste our redemption, we need to be completely all in, and we gotta recognize that Jesus cares about our actions, right? Words of affirmation, not so much. Acts of service, yes. But then we have one more lesson, and it comes from the last verses. So check this out. In verse 18, it says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. This is, this is crucifixion stretch out. Watch this. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And we get a little note from the author saying, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. It's pretty hardcore. Jesus is literally telling Peter to his face that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to die the same way that Jesus did. And then he said to him, follow me. 
In verse 20, watch this. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? In parentheses, it's written because this is the author cueing in that he's the one that Peter's referring to. So most scholars would agree that's true. I'm not a scholar, but I read scholars sometimes. So I know that. And then Peter saw him. He says, Lord, what about him? In other words, you just told me that I'm going to die like this gruesome death and it's going to be brutal. What about John? Like, is he getting a bad rap too? Because it's going to really stink if he gets to like this cool mansion and like successful TV ministry and I'm the one that's going to get crucified. Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? I'm putting a little emphasis on how I'm reading it in, so forgive me, but you imagine it. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. You must follow me. In other words, let me look at you in the camera right now. You must follow him. And with your unique calling and with what God's called you to do. Now, all of us are called to share the gospel. All of us are supposed to do certain things that we share, like to make disciples and to see people get baptized and to see the kingdom of God move forward. Like, yes, but all of us have a unique call. Peter had a unique call that was very different than the call that the Apostle John, the one who wrote this gospel letter, wrote. And this, this is obviously written after Peter had passed away. And some, sometime much, much later in the future, probably 30 plus years, because we know that Peter ends up getting crucified and allegedly he gets crucified upside down under the reign of Nero, which would have meant that after this moment, Peter had 30 solid years of fruitful gospel ministry, which leads me to the last point, which is that we, if you want to not waste your life, not waste your redemption, then you've got to stay on mission. Like your mission needs to, needs to not waver despite how bad things get. Peter made that mistake once. Things got bad. Things got heated. People are asking him questions. Are you a disciple? He just saw Jesus get taken away in the garden. He knows he's headed to his death. What does he do? He denies him three times, just like Jesus said he would. That's, what the, that's when the heat picked up. But then we see Peter all throughout the gospel, uh, or excuse me, the, the, the book of Acts, living out his life and standing up um, against rulers and authorities and, and doing all the things that he should have done in the first place. He starts to live accordingly. And he's all in this time. And he's doing, the, he's doing the things he knows he needs to do. And he stays on mission. And y'all, if you don't want to waste your life, you've got to keep focused on the mission no matter, no matter what comes your way, no matter how bad things get. Right? So... Um, you know, Peter, Peter just, he could have, he could have said, you know, Jesus, I don't want to do that. Or he could have avoided it. But knowing what Jesus said, he had 30 long years to wait to see how it was going to play out. And he honored Jesus the whole way. He stayed connected the whole way. So um, one way to stay on mission is when you're receiving things, and you have to give them away. Um, you know, God's going to give you different options. Changing metaphors. He's going to bring you, you know, cookies. No, I'm just kidding. He's going to bring you challenges, temptations. Um, the enemy's going to throw those in your way. You're going to have different life circumstances that are going to get in your way. You're going to have 
things look differently than they thought that you thought they were going to look. You're going to have great successes um, that might tempt you to change your course and to do things differently than you should. But ultimately, no matter what comes your way, you've got to stay on track. You've got to stay on the mission, whatever that be. And I'd love to bring you through First and Second Peter. I'd love for you to, to go and read those books and see the fruit of the life of a man who did exactly that, right? See how he made disciples. See how he edified churches. We're going to continue in our series, and you're going to get a chance in the next several weeks with Pastor Mike to hear about how Peter was a leader and how he was able to steward his influence. Not perfectly always, but how he did it. And I think you'll be encouraged. But let's, meet, let's go back to the beginning for a second. Let's go back to the charcoal fire. Let's go back to that place where Jesus brought Peter back to his point of failure so he could be there for the restoration. What's your place of failure? Where's the place that things went awry between you and him? If you know where that place is, I bet you if you're willing to visit it again, Jesus will be waiting for you, ready to serve you as always, ready to reconnect with you, and ready to take you on a journey of a lifetime. Let's pray together. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that everybody who heard this would be super encouraged and willing to meet you at that place, and that they would go to the place where they last saw you, where they felt like they let you down, where they sinned or fell short. And I pray that they would have the boldness and courage to meet with you there. Because as we see here, and as we know time and time again for many people over the last several thousand years, that you are one who is quick to forgive, that you, you want us to be close to you. You want us to have relationship with you. So would you give somebody that courage right now? Draw them to you. Help them to lay down all of the cares of the world, lay down their shame, and find restoration and freedom in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, that sermon just happened. <laughs> Dude, I, kinda I have to start here. The, one of the main points in this sermon is feed my sheep. Is it important that we feed them junk food? <laughs> it's as close to bread as I could come up with. I was not bringing a fish in here. <laughs> okay. If I would have slapped a fish down, I would have lost everybody in the room. It would have been well, no, including the, myself. Between the poker chips, the potato chips, and the chocolate chip cookies, I'm like, I'm not sure how spiritual this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> but it's unforgiveness. Wait, you so, haven't seen poker chips regularly at church? No. no? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. All right. In the Wesleyan tradition, how are these viewed? Mm, hey. no, no, let's just say <laughs> another conversation. These will keep you out of heaven if the Wesleyans are in charge of the entrance exam. <laughs> so, but then again, so will cards and basically Dancing. anything else enjoyable. <laughs> so, but um, um, so I'm going to be sit here and be tempted to eat chips the whole time. You're good. So um, let me ask a question. You, you, you said early on that um, in our culture, there's this fear of wasting our life. Uh, do you think that's a cultural thing with us? Or do you think that actually there's a basic human fear of wasting your life across all cultures? Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I, I could have expanded it to talk about all humanity because I really do believe it. There's this, I think that God did put eternity in the heart of man, mm -hmm. right? And then part of the fall is that, we, we get focused on our short life and we lose sight 
of the fact that we're going to live forever. Um, and because of that, we're really, really worried about the impact that we're going to make here at a higher level. I think that 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 finitude, that idea that it's going to be so short, it makes it makes us like really worry about like I first time I ever noticed this. I'm going to digress was when I started parenting my kids mm -hmm. and I started to care about like all the little things about like, how are they going to remember this? You know, like right. I messed up parenting, spanked somebody too hard or something, you know, whatever, whatever it was, mm -hmm. or I thought I did. And I'm like, oh no, I just scarred them for life. It's over. You know, <laughs> they're going to be ruined. That's the first time it hit me mm -hmm. that like, I'm thinking about the impact that I'm making long-term. It wasn't until then. Some people think about it earlier maybe, but. Right, right. No, I, I see that. Uh, let me, you spend a lot of time on um, your phrase is we've got to love the Lord first and foremost. And you spend a lot of time on loving the Lord. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus asked him three times, mm -hmm. do you love me more mm -hmm. than these? And um, But how do you think that play, how does one practically play out loving the Lord first and foremost on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh, that's good. I think it's an act of worship thing. I think it comes down to what am I giving my, my time talents and attention towards right okay. am i am i building this into my my day right is is he the one that orders my priorities orders my values does it all stem from him or does it stem from me like is it because i need this for me or because any sort of hum humanistic shallow reason or is it because i really want him to be glorified and honored if i'm really loving him first and foremost the rest of that stuff should follow from that Okay, so, all right, well, G, you also said that Jesus' love language is acts of service. Uh, we had a long conversation about this in writing session, but um, <laughs> if that's true, how important are our words? I think our words do matter. Um, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's also way easier to say words than it is to actually go and do something about what you say. Um, and I think the cost of doing and the energy expended to go and actually physically do something is so much greater than that of just saying words. I can I could talk all day and it doesn't expend much energy. It doesn't there's no really no sacrifice there, but there's sacrifice with action. And I think that's what I'm getting after in the message. So words matter, but actions are better. So when we're talking about forgiveness and then we're talking about actions um, and uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ta I'm gonna take your I don't I don't disagree with your statement by the way. Um, if Jesus had a love language, he doesn't because he has all the love languages. He is love. <laughs> but if he had one, it would probably be acts of service. So I'm not disagreeing with your statement, but let's take it to an extreme. So if that is true, when I ask forgiveness, do I really need to say any words or, I, or do I just need to act this thing out? Mm, act like one that's forgiven? Yeah. Ooh. How does one who's forgiven act that's differently than one who isn't? If just, it means that I'm worshiping and I'm approaching the throne, then it's going to come with a heart disposition. My, I'm going to ch change from the inside out. It's going to involve words. I'm not going to just be mute. I, what does one who can't speak do in that case? Is there? There's definitely people who can't talk. So yeah, there's still I think there's salvation. Words, yeah. There's something being spoken mm -hmm. internally, right? There's a mm -hmm. knowing and a feeling, but that should be acted on. I just, I'm mostly asking the question because I want to make sure everybody understands this is not mm. something you can just do things to earn. Okay. Uh, so you're worried about is something that is given, mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's requested in mm -hmm. some way, shape or form. Uh, but I, and, and I say that 
as a guard That's completely really agreeing with your statement yeah that acts of service the way you act is more important so did you notice the james verse that i pulled out was actually in that context mm-hmm. so the ver- verse 18 says you have faith i have deeds show me your faith without deeds and i'll show you my faith right. by my deeds right. that's kind of what i'm getting at a little, right. little bit and the right. tension is built into the text so we right. all know that it's not one or the other um, but both are, have to be present. Okay, one last question. Uh, it, the last point is stay on mission. Um, tell, specifically, what do you do? You're, you're one of the most self-disciplined people I know. Mm-hmm. So specifically, what do you do to make sure you're staying on mission? Give, mm-hmm. give, us, some, give, a, give us some advice. Oh, gosh. Well, I have one cheat to this and that I've chosen my vocation to be part of the mission of the gospel. <laughs> right. um, not everybody's going to get do right. that. Uh, for lots of very good reasons. But I don't think that I could do anything else full-time. I feel like this is part of my calling, but I realize a vocation is just part of that bigger umbrella of calling and of mission. I feel like living on mission looks like, am I making disciples? Am I pushing the kingdom of God forward with my life? And I would argue that our work here and what I get to do here is one way that I do that. But other, other ways is that Jesus is part of my my everything in my life and everybody knows that about me so everywhere that I am I'm his representative and doing whatever I can whether by word or by deed mm-hmm. <laughs> and better when it's deed um, to make sure that people know that they're loved by Christ and that he is God very good practical enough good job <laughs> all right thank you again for joining us we hope that this resource helped you in your journey towards loving God and loving people better every single day if you enjoyed this please take a second share it with your friends and last we wanted to give a special thanks to all of you who give generously to this ministry it's because of you all that this is possible and if you'd like to learn more about how to partner with us financially go ahead and click give for more information we appreciate anything that you can do to help so thanks again for being a member of our online family we love serving Jesus with you